This podcast is sponsored by Australian Christian College, a network of schools committed to student wellbeing, character development and academic improvement. Welcome to the Inspiration Project, where well-known Christians share their stories to inspire young people in their faith and life. Here's your host, Brendan Corr. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Inspiration Project podcast. We hope that you're enjoying the stories of prominent Christians who have found success not in spite of, not because of, but in concert with their faith. Today, we are welcoming a, a well-known, a globally well-known Christian who's become prominent in uh, defending the faith and advancing the cause of, of God's uh, truth. Uh, Dr. Ken Ham has been a uh, uh, the, the founder of Answers in Genesis, uh, the beginning of or established the Creation Museum, which has become one of the, the highlight of a, attractions around the world. Ken was born and raised in Australia, took his first degree from the Queensland Institute of Technology, moved to the US in 1987 where he began his work with Answers in Genesis and has since established the Creation Museum. Works mainly as a biblical apologist, giving faith-building talks to thousands of young people and adults, and became internationally known for his very much-watched debate with Bill Nye, the science guy. Um, Ken has a, a wife, Mally. He resides in Cincinnati in the USA, has five children and 16 grandchildren. Ken, that is a full life that has been described in just a few sentences there. I know that you've, you've we could list a published author and, and a current speaker to that list, how do you find time to fit all of that into the 24 hours of a day? Well, you know, Second Peter 3 says a day is like a thousand years, right? So <laughs> Very good. <laughs> we, can take, we can take that verse and use it that way. Uh, so the first thing I need to understand is, you know, we've lived over here in the States since 1987. Yeah. Do I still do I still have somewhat of an Aussie accent? Well, I was going to pass comment. I, was, I thought, you know, I'm, I'm very proud of you, Ken. And, um, Aussie, you still sound dinky die, which is fantastic. Well, you know, people over here tell us that we still sound Aussie. Our kids don't, unfortunately. Oh, and by the way, one little update from the figures you gave there. Yeah. We actually have 18 grandchildren. Wow, well, congratulations. Uh, so 17 and one on the way. So that, that means is 18. Awesome. See, yeah. I'm pro-life, pro so that's one. Amen. That's uh, fantastic. Important. Blessed is the man who has a quiverful. I think is that. And uh, yeah, we, we decided our, our quiver was five because we have five kids. So. Yeah, nice. <laughs> yeah, that's great. <laughs> so how have you gone about keeping your, your Australia or has it, has it been hard to keep your Australian identity in the midst of a very dominant US pop culture? Well, you know, it's, it's interesting. I've often wondered, people have asked us how, how we kept our Australian accent. And, you know, my wife also has kept her Australian accent and I don't know, you know, we're born and bred in Australia and maybe because the Australian accent is so well liked over here, yeah. people just love it. You know, I have people tell me it doesn't matter what you say, we just love yeah. to hear you saying it. So see, I can get away with anything. That but is awesome, I isn't it? I think because I speak so much mm. and speak over here in America and around the world. And also we have been able to go back to Australia uh, almost every year, sometimes twice a year. You know, my, my mother passed away uh, last 
in November. I'm sorry. And uh, so we would, you know, she was almost 92 and wow. she was ready to go and wanted to be with the Lord. So, you know, it was a praise time and sad, obviously, for those of us left behind, but she was such a godly mother, mm. prayed for us every day. But while our parents were alive, we wanted to go back to Australia. That's one of the things that uh, we uh, particularly asked the Lord for, and we were able mm. to go back each year. And I think going back to Australia and just mixing with our mm. family and friends and talking to them a lot on, you know, the phone and FaceTime and speaking a lot. So mm. uh, it was interesting Sharpens when I first... When I first came to America in the 80s, uh, that's when, you know, Crocodile yes. Dundee was popular. You remember that? Yes. And I had dark hair then and darker, longer beard. And I had pastors who would say that, you know, he looks like Abraham Lincoln and sounds like Crocodile Dundee. <laughs> so what more did you want? for? An You're American a hit culture? in America. That's right. You <laughs> exactly. Were, that was your door in. I was interested. One of the things I might come back to in our conversation down the track was the the importance of the formative years and the, the notion of having even your language patterns and speech patterns locked at a, at a strategic part of your life uh, becomes an important factor that you rely on or that holds you steady into our later parts of your life. We'll, we'll come back and have that, that as a notion. But can tell us a bit about your family of, of origin, Ken. You obviously come from a strong uh, background of faith. What was it like? growing up in Australia in, in a Christian family? Well, you know, my, my mother died at uh, almost 92 and my father uh, died at 66 years old. Mm. And so my mother lived for quite a long time mm. without my father. But when my father was dying in hospital and I was over in the States uh, here and one of my brothers sat with him and said, Dad, why did you love God's word so much? Mm. And he said, because his earthly father had passed away when he was 16 years old. Mm. And he said he turned to the words of his heavenly father and he wow. read them over and over and over again, saturated himself in the word of God. Yeah. And I say that to say that I was born into that home mm. where I had a father and mother who were just committed to the word of God and they had an evangelistic heart. I mean, my mother, when she was a teenager, uh, in North Queensland, mm. at the foot of Mount Bartle Freer, you know, just south of Cairns, there Bartle Freer is the highest mountain in Queensland, mm. and her parents had a cane farm there, and she started a Sunday school because she wanted to reach the local kids yeah, right. uh, with the truth of God's word and the gospel. And she would get on a bicycle and she would ride one and a half miles and collect these two little girls whose wow. parents had nothing to do with church put them on her bicycle, one on the handlebars and one on the bar of the bike, then ride three miles to the Sunday school that she started then take them back home and then Goodness ride back me. home herself. And, you know, it's interesting. She met uh, that couple in their, when they're in their 80s wow. and they pointed back to that time and one of them in particular said they're an on-fire Christian because of that. And the other one said, well, I've drifted away, but I'm coming back, you Amen. know, and I, I I heard that story when I was a kid about my, my mother would just say, oh, yeah, I used to ride down here and take these kids to Sunday school. Mm. That had an impact on me. And then, you know, my father, he loved to teach the Bible mm. and he would have Bible studies in his home. As we grew up in North Queensland, you know, my father was a teacher and got transferred every three years because mm. he was so good and was promoted. But we were in lots of little country towns, some places where there were no Sunday schools, they would start Sunday schools. And some places only one or two churches. And mm. it's interesting, sometimes those churches had what I would call liberal pastors. And my father would 
open up the Bible and show us, you know, when he said that a little boy took his loaves and fishes, so other people did the same. And just to set an example, that's not what the Bible says. This was a miracle. And Mm. one of the things my father started doing was researching what the liberal critics were saying, Mm. because he recognized that that could cause us to doubt and not believe the word of God. And so he really started teaching us apologetics at a young age. Mm. And, and you think about it, the, the Ministry of Answers and Genesis, the Creation Museum, and behind me, our second-themed attraction, the Life Size Ark, which is mm. absolutely incredible, attracting millions of people from all over the world. They're apologetic centers. That's what they are. Yeah. At Answers and Genesis, our emphasis is standing on the authority of the Word of God and giving people answers mm. so that they won't succumb to the questions of the day and the secular attacks on God's word and they won't doubt God's word and that doubt lead to unbelief. Mm. And and that's the way our parents taught us. And Mm. uh, when I was 10 years old, it was interesting. My my parents used to invite in evangelists from the open air campaigners. You know, the open air campaigners, a mission organization started in Australia. And we used to have the open air campaigner missionaries stay in our home and my parents would run evangelistic programs and they would, you know, that were the days when there were no seatbelt laws and they would pile, you know, 20 kids into a car and mm. take them into a, to a program. When we're in Innisfail, we actually live in a little town called Mundu outside of Innisfail. When we're in Innisfail, it is our Presbyterian church, actually. They ran this program with uh, one of the open air campaigners and it was when I was 10 years old. And he had a challenge for us as kids, Mm. for those who really want to commit their lives to the Lord and go where God wants them to go. And you're willing to do that and go anywhere he wants you to go and do anything he wants you to do. Mm. And, you know, he had a little piece of paper and I remember signing that because I said, yes, what my parents have taught me. Yes. Standing on God's word. Yes. I put my Mm. faith and trust in the Lord Jesus. And yes, I'm willing to go wherever he wants me to go and do whatever he wants me to do. It's interesting. Many years later, uh, I met a young lady at a church in Brisbane at Sunnybank Methodist Church, actually. And uh, she was uh, 17 years old and I was 19 at the time. And we got married, you know, two years later. And she told me that her parents sent her to Sunday school. Wow. And her mother particularly wanted to go to Sunday school. And she heard the message of the gospel at Sunday school and she made a commitment because there was a challenge one day for those who wanted to commit their lives to the Lord. Mm. And she said, Lord, if, 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 if you did this for me, you died on the cross for me, you did that for me, I want to go wherever you want me to go and do whatever you want me to do. Mm. And it's interesting, we both had made that same special commitment and the Lord brought us together, not knowing that we would leave home, yes, Australia, yes and come to America, and the Lord would have us involved in a ministry that impacts millions and millions of people a year. Yes. And so, you know, right at that young age, uh, God had a special plan for our lives that we didn't even know about at the time. And we we look back, and I often have people ask me, if you knew then what what you know now about your your ministry and being over in America and so on, what would you, what would you do? I, mm. I said, probably run the other direction. Uh, <laughs> but God has brought us through all sorts of circumstances. I mean, I could talk for hours about the faith steps we've, we've taken, the valleys we've had to go through, the mm. mountaintops and then the valleys. And mm. I, you know, if anyone wanted me to summarize what life has been like, you know, since we started the ministry in our own home, actually in Sunnybank, uh, in suburb of Brisbane, in Queensland, in Australia, 
and we started that back in actually embryonically in 1977 and mm. I left school teaching in 1979 to go full-time with no guarantee of any salary, money, anything like that. And my wife and I were totally committed to the Lord uh, to do that. But if you look over the years, if anyone said, how would you explain it all? I think it's sort of like the Israelites conquering the promised land, mm. you know? Bible says little by little, and they had to go in there and conquer Jericho and AI and fight the giants. And I mean, that's what it's like. It mm. just seems seems to be uh, one battle after another. And and then, of course, just recently we had this COVID-19 situation. We had to shut down, uh, you know, our attractions for uh, three months mm. and put off 80% of our staff. And, you know, we had yeah. about a 1,000 staff. And that's, that's been a trauma and yes. it's been a struggle. And now we're, we're reopening and uh, trying to work with that. That's another stress in itself. And sometimes I say, Lord, you know, we go through all these struggles over the years. You miraculously see us through as he's done the last three months. He's seen mm -hmm. us through miraculously mm -hmm. in regard to, uh, you know, keeping the ministry and, yes. and being able to pay the bills and so on and have a skeleton staff on and, um, you know, we look at all that and say, can't we have, can we just have peace in the land for a little while? Uh, but, you know, it just seems to me if you, when you come to a mountaintop, sometimes I always say, oh, no, you know what that means? Now there's a valley on the other side. That is true, so, the ups and downs. Yeah. Yeah, that, it must be an amazing thing for you to stand at this point in your life and look look at the things that God has brought to fruition through the ministry and to remember what it must have been to start that ministry back in your in your home at Sunnybank. It's quite a oh, quite a big. Um, a, it, a, it is a amazing. Yawning. It, Go, yeah. It, it's miraculous, you mm. know. I, I mean, you look at that structure behind there. Yeah. And I'm I'm sitting in our answer center, which is a 2,500 seat conference center that we have here as well. And behind the ark is a zoo, and beside mm. the ark is a restaurant that. You know, it's allowed to have 2,700 people in it. It's a massive, wow. massive building. And then we have, you know, the children's playground and we have a virtual reality uh, building experience that uh, actually will be opening up uh, this July of 2020 and people are able to sit in seats. That it'll be almost like a ride, you know, mm. and you put on these glasses and you'll think you're in a time machine and go mm. back to the time of Noah and build the ark and experience the flood and... I mean, as you look at this, then the Creation Museum, which is 45 minutes from here, and it's a whole walk through the Bible. And to see the people coming, well, they'll be coming back once we reopen. But, yeah. you know, when, when we're open, you just see these people pouring in, these mums and dads and kids and yeah. impacted by what they see. And the non-Christians, 30% of those who come are non-Christians. And mm -hmm. I look at all this and people often stand there looking at the Ark or the mm -hmm. Creation Museum and they say to me, how could all this come about? How could... How could a conservative Christian ministry, mm. and, and we're so evangelistic and we don't hide that from what we do. We're always bold about that. We, we don't hit people on the head with it, but mm. we boldly present God's mm. word in the gospel through the ark, through all the three decks of exhibits and, mm. and through the theatres that we have here and the same at the, at the Creation Museum. How, how could all this happen? But God called us to do it mm. and he's provided miraculously. And I can honestly say we've never had the money to do what, what has been mm -hmm. done. And we have to keep stepping out of faith all the time. But God has raised up people mm -hmm. all across America and around the world who support this financially. And it's just amazing mm -hmm. to see what's happened. It's a God thing. That's Amen. all you can say. It's Amen. a God thing. Let me roll you back a, a little ways. You went through uh, school in Queensland. And obviously you had 
your, your father was a teacher, you became a teacher. Was, was that always what was going to happen for you? Was there something, the influence of your family setting you on that track of, of uh, being a teacher? Well, I guess, uh, you know, in the sovereignty of God, he predestined me and I had no choice, right? <laughs> but, you know, my father was a teacher, his father's a teacher, and actually his father was a teacher. Wow. That's... And so I grew up in that environment mm. and my father loved teaching and he was a great teacher, a great communicator. Uh, he loved teaching the word of God. My favorite picture of my father is him sitting there with his Bible on his knee, teaching mm. the word of God. I mean, he had an incredible impact on my life mm. and my mother had an incredible impact on my life. Just seeing their love for each other and their love for God most of all mm. and the fact that they would never knowingly compromise God's word mm. and uh, just to to grow up in, in that situation. And I, I believe, you know, what you, what you have to do is ask the Lord, you know, what he has for you in your life. I mean, the, to look at the gifts that he's given you and trusted you with and your life's experiences. Mm. So, you know, growing up in a home with a father who was a tremendous communicator, a tremendous teacher. And as, you know, I began to to grow up as well. And into my teenage years, I love to communicate with people. And that's that's the gift I believe the Lord has given me is a yes. gift of communication. And so I believe that he has called me to be a teacher because mm. that's what I am. Yeah, you know, it's I was interesting. Say that. Yeah. I, I, I'm the CEO of Answers and Genesis Creation Museum, the Ark Encounter. It's the largest apologetics ministry uh, in the world. And we have the two leading Christian-themed attractions in the world. And I'm not a CEO. I never yeah. trained to be a CEO. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, I tell people I'm a teacher. I'm yeah. a communicator. Yeah. But I was also brought up in a home where my parents did not consider material things important. Mm. To them, training their children to love the Lord and reaching out to others with the message of the Lord Jesus mm. was the most important thing to them. And so I think that that also has had a tremendous uh, impact on us as well, because it's in my mother's words echo. I can hear them right now mm. echoing in my mind. It's only what's done for Jesus at last. Amen. Material things are not important. It's only what's done for Jesus at last. I still hear her saying that. Yeah. So what you're really describing, you're, you're still a teacher, but with bigger audiovisual materials, bigger, bigger teaching aids that, that you have now. Yeah, and, you know, one of the things I learned uh, as a ministry grows like this, look for the people who know how to do the things that need doing. Mm. Look for the people who have the expertise and pray for the Lord to bring them alongside. Mm. And so like here at Answers in Genesis, I mean, I'm, I'm the main visionary mm. to give the overall vision for the ministry. And that's what the Lord called me to, to, to be as a mm. visionary in regard to this ministry, you know, started in our own home. I sort of got that entrepreneurial spirit. Mm. Um, in, in the secular world, I guess they might call me a risk taker. Mm. I call it stepping out in faith in the yeah. Christian world, but not irresponsibly, responsibly stepping out in faith. But to look for the people who have the expertise to look after the finances mm. or the expertise to look after audiovisual or whatever it is and let them run with that in, within the overall vision. And, you know, my, my main task is still being a visionary mm. and teaching. I teach here at the Ark Encounter and I teach at the Creation Museum because I want to communicate this message to people. Yeah. Can, 
you're, you've named your organisation Answers in Genesis and you, you've described the main ministry, the main focus of your ministry is apologetics, defence of the, the faith. Can, can I ask you a little bit about where or what you see as the, the possible contention between faith and fact and the, the need to uh, prove the things of, of God? Yeah, that's a, that's a very good question. And to answer that, uh, you know, let me give a Bible passage, first of all, 1 Peter 3.15, always be prepared to give an answer. Amen. Always be prepared to give an answer for what you believe. And the word answer there, or defense, in some translations it says yes. defense, yes. comes from the Greek word apologia, from which we get a word apologetics, which means to give a logical reason defense of the faith. Mm-hmm. And so we're an apologetics organization. But the Bible also says, by grace you are saved through faith. It is not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. You know, the Bible tells us that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Mm. You know, how shall they call on him and who they have not believed? How shall they believe on him and who they have not heard? How shall they hear without a preacher? And so I've always looked at bringing those two things together. Actually, I mm. see it from a big perspective through the whole Bible. Mm. And that is man's responsibility and God's sovereignty. And mm. they go hand in hand. You know, that's that's why I personally don't like labels. Like when people say you're a Calvinist or an Arminian, I say both. Because <laughs> uh, uh, really, it, I, I look at it from a perspective of there's our responsibility, yes. there's God's sovereignty. We're told to go out into all the world and preach the gospel. We're told yes. to give reasons for what we believe. But I also understand I can't save anybody. Yes. It's only God who does the saving. And so my analogy for this apologetics ministry yes. would be, Jesus coming to the tomb of Lazarus. So Jesus comes to the tomb of Lazarus. Lazarus is dead. Remember, we're dead in trespasses and sin for those who are not Christians. And the non-Christian needs to be raised from the dead. And Jesus comes to that tomb. And what does he say? He says, move the stone away. Mm. Now you think about it. With one word, thought, Jesus is God. That stone could have disappeared. But no, you can move the stone. Mm. So you do that. That's your human responsibility. You move the stone yes. and trust trust me, have faith in me. Okay, we'll move the stone. And then what happened? The word of God raised the dead. Mm. Lazarus, come forth. Mm. So to me, apologetics is like us moving the stone. Yeah, right. What are we doing? Well, I, I know I've met so many people over the years that say, how can you trust the Bible? Because what about dinosaurs? No, I couldn't get the animals on the ark. Well, how do you know there's a God? Well, what about carbon dating? Well, where did Cain get his wife? What about the ape man? What about evolution? They're taught all these things that make them doubt and not believe the word mm-hmm. of God. So we give those answers. But in giving those answers, what, what we're doing is saying, look, I want you to understand the Bible is God's word. I keep pointing them back to the word of God. I'm not trying to prove the word of God. I want to show you that God's word in Genesis concerning creation, concerning Mm -hmm. the entrance of sin and death, concerning the flood of Noah's day, concerning the Tower of Babel makes sense of the world. You know, Mm -hmm. why we have all these people groups and not different races. We all go back to the Tower of Babel, Mm -hmm. back to Noah and his family, back to Adam and Eve. Uh, Death in the world, that's not because God's an ogre. We sinned against God. So Mm -hmm. now it's a fallen world. It's a corrupt world. The fossil record is actually the record of the flood reminding us of the wickedness of man and God's judgment, God's salvation in the ark. You know, I'm sure it's too far back for you to see, but that ark has one big door on it. And Mm. at night it's lit up with a cross and inside Mm. it's lit up with the cross. And it's a reminder. I love to see parents getting their 
photographs with their children in front of that door with the cross lit up inside on the yes. second deck, it's a reminder as, as no one his family went through a door to be saved, so we need uh, to go through a door uh, to be saved. Mm-hmm. And so it, it, it's all about Jesus, all about that evangelistic message. And so yeah. what we do, give those answers to answer those questions. That's our responsibility. Yeah. But we're pointing them to the word of God and the gospel to be saved. And you know the number of people that have said, because they've gotten answers and really listened to the word of God, that the Lord has saved them. And yes. so he uses that ministry in that yes, way. That's good. I can't bring responsibility and sovereignty together. Only God can do that. So we just need to be faithful. Yes. And I, I, I give answers to, to convince everyone. You know, the Bible's true, knowing I don't do the convincing. It's God that does. But never separate, you know, giving those answers about fossils, the age of the earth, or whatever it is. No, we never separate it from the word of God and pointing to people to the word. If we're not doing it to preach the gospel, there's no point in doing it at yes, all. Yes. So what, what I'm hearing you say, Ken, is that there there is God isn't asking us for a blind faith that isn't based right. in what is real and what is sensible and what is understandable. He doesn't ask us to cast off our our capacity to reason and think, but but neither is are those mechanisms going to be what we can't argue somebody to salvation. We can't convince them by the literal evidence alone that there is this this joint work between our our rationality and the spirit of God that that speaks something beyond that to quicken our hearts. Is that a a comparison or a a complimentary? Absolutely. That is exactly it. Mm -hmm. You know, we need to be faithful, giving the answers, preaching the word and pointing people to the word of God, removing those stumbling blocks, Mm -hmm. moving the stone, uh, knowing we don't do the convincing. Mm. It's God that does the convincing. I, you know, to me, that is sort of relaxing to think about that mm. because I've actually had people say to me, I've been witnessing to my uncle for years and years and I'm getting nowhere anywhere. I'm a failure. And what I say to them is, look, if you've done your best to mm. answer their sceptical questions and to point them to the word of God and the gospel, remember mm. it's God that does the Amen. same thing, not you. Amen. Yeah. You just need to be faithful. And sometimes, sadly, I think when you think of some of the atheist movements in the world and atheists that come and protest here at the Ark each year out the front because they hate what we're doing, sometimes I think even preaching to them is so that they will have no excuse. You know, they'll stand before God one day and, and he'll say, you had no excuse. You you heard the answers. You heard you heard the gospel. Let me ask you a bit about that context because you're – you're living in a society, American society, that has that's going through a period of change from being staunchly Christianized, if not Christian, to being much less sympathetic to people of Christian faith. What? How do you understand? How do you respond? How does it make you feel when you have those that criticism, that skepticism, that that personal attack on on you and what you believe and what you're doing? from those that don't understand? Well, you know, I think of Noah. Mm. (laughs) And you think about Noah, a preacher of righteousness, Mm. in a world where everyone would have been against him because Mm. the whole world was wicked. It was only his family that went on that ark. Mm. You know, in America, yes, it's become very secularised. I mean, the, the, the perverseness in regard to, you know, sexuality and so on, 
you know, when you think of the LGBT movement and transgender and then the abortion issue, 60 million children murdered in their mother's womb since 1973, since it was legalized by the Supreme Court. And, and the drag queens they invite into libraries and schools and and then, you know, basically the public education system that's throwing God out and prayer out and the Bible out and teaches everyone from an atheistic perspective. I mean, you look at all that, but there's still millions of people that are righteous in America. I, mm. You know, America, America is in big trouble. I mean, God's not going to stand idly by. When you think of what Hitler did at the Holocaust and the mm. millions of people that he persecuted and killed, but didn't you think of 60 million children murdered in their mother's womb since Roe versus Wade? God's not going to stand back and do nothing. In fact, when you read Romans 1, I believe it's a picture of what's happening in our whole Western world. You know, as people rebel against God as creator and worship the creature more than the, the, the creator, and, and then you go through the, the sexual revolution, and then there's the homosexual revolution that you read there in Romans 1, and as God withdraws his restraining influence, and we're seeing that happen through our whole Western world. We're seeing it in a big way here in America. And, you know, it is true that born-again evangelical Christians who, who stand on the authority of the word of God, who contend for the faith, who... As, as we're told to in Jude, uh, and, and who will not knowingly compromise God's word beginning in Genesis. We are a minority, mm. but you know what? We're, we have God on our side. Amen. And what we've got to look at is we've got to be faithful. You know, when I think of Noah preaching in that world before the flood, if he can do that, he's mm. a preacher of righteousness. We can do that. Amen. You know, and, and, and you read through Hebrews 11. We think things are bad now. I mean, you think of the riots that have been going on in, in America and the looting and mm. all that's happening. And it's, it's sort of frightening in a way. And all that happened in regard to the coronavirus and mm. nobody knows what to believe anymore. Actually, I think mm. is there's so much contradictory information and inconsistencies and, and people, I, I think people are starting to question, well, what is going on? What mm. is this all about? It's a great time. Mm. for us to come out and say, look, we've got the answers. You know, mm -hmm. uh, a lot of people are fearing, fearing death from a coronavirus, you know, for Christians, you know, we, we got to take our responsibility. There it is again, our responsibility of looking after our health and making sure we do what's right there. But in the sovereignty of God, we can't add one hour to our life either. Mm. And we know that if something would happen to us, we're going to be with the Lord for eternity. Yeah. But we need to have that burden to get out and tell others about it. And there are still millions of righteous people, so to speak, in this nation, in America. And there's many in Australia too, as you know, they're a minority. Mm -hmm. But nonetheless, if Noah can preach to those people, if people in Hebrews could you know, were prepared to be sawn into and mm -hmm. go destitute and live in caves and Think of people in the past. Think of the days of the Roman Empire and Christians who were thrown to the lions. Yeah. We're, we're not anywhere like that yet. Yeah, yeah, Christians are being persecuted more and more in our Western world, but we need to be faithful to what God has told us to do. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. Contend for the faith. Give reasons for what you believe. And that's what we need to do the best of our ability. And mm. I committed to the Lord that, that's what you called me to do. That's what I want to do. And he's allowed us to build these themed attractions that impact millions of people in our, our website and our own streaming service at answers.tv that reaches around the world now. And, and then all the books and the videos 
and and I think look what God has done. Mm. And really, it goes back to parents who taught their children to stand on the Word of God yes. without compromise. And I I want to urge parents uh, to 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 make sure you look at your children. Every child is a being who's going to live forever and ever and ever mm. in heaven or hell. The Bible says, and how important it is to train them right from a young age. And, and, and Brendan, you know, the example I use here in, in America is Vegemite. Oh, good on you. <laughs> because most Americans, you give them a taste of Vegemite and they hate it. Yes. I love Vegemite. And most the reason is do. because our parents brought yes. us up to acquire a taste from yes. a young age. And that taste is with us for the rest of our lives. Yes. And a number of our grandchildren, they've been brought up on Vegemite and they love it. And I remind people that, you know, when you look at what Paul said about Timothy and about how he was trained that from a young age yes. to know the scriptures, yes. we, we need to be teaching our children. That's what our parents did with us. They taught us to be Vegemite kids, yes. to acquire a taste for the things of the Lord, for yes. apologetics, for a defense of the faith, for evangelism, for standing on God's will without compromise right from a young age. And that to me is what real Christian education is all about, helping Amen. the parents do that. Amen. Ken, that brings us back to some of the first comments that we had in our conversation, the importance of those formative years. We made the comment that part of your acquiring or retaining your Australian accent was because it, those language patterns, those speech patterns, the, the formation of those sounds were so ingrained in those early years, differently to your own kids who grew up listening and hearing something so different. Uh, you've used the analogy of Vegemite, the, the, the taste sensitivity to that. But I, I hear what you're saying, the importance of, of shaping a faithfulness, an understanding of the Word of God, the power of the Word of God, the truth and the unfailingness of the Word of God. Just as a, as a last little reflection, we've, we've talked a lot in this conversation about the Word, about Scripture, about that expression of God's character and personality that is captured in in uh, the inscripturated truth. Where, what do you think is the the complementary side of knowing the Word, but also knowing the God of the Word, that personal relationship with a, a living Lord? Well, you know, um, in Hebrew, is what we read: um, "Without faith, it's impossible." He who comes to God must believe that he is and he's a rewarder of those that seek him. Mm. You know, God reveals that to each one of us. Mm. And you, when you have that personal commitment to the Lord, that, that when you really, truly believe his word, what does the scripture say? To seek after wisdom mm. and truth as, as, you, as you would seek after silver and gold. Mm. And when you do that, God will show that to you. Amen. And, you know, I remember when... My wife and I were considering, should I leave school teaching and go full time? Mm. And, you know, we, we, wanna, we 80 percent said, Lord, we're willing to do it. And then 90 percent and then 95 percent and 98 percent. But it wasn't until my wife was reading Matthew 6 to me one day as we were driving in the car out to Dolby, where I first started teaching school out there past Toowoomba. And. If God so clothes the lilies of the field, how much more is he going to look after us? And right then in the car we prayed and for the first time we said, Lord, we're 100% committed 
to you to do what you want us to do. Amen. And then things started falling into place. And, and my challenge is to people too is if, if you commit your life to the Lord mm. and you really mean it, I mean not 80%, not 90%, not 98%, when you can say, Lord, I really want to do what you want me to do. I really want to go what you want me to go. I 100% mean it. Amen. He, could, he can do great things through each of you. Exceedingly, abundantly above all we could ask or think. Dr. Yep. Ham, it's, uh, it's been an absolute delight to spend some time talking with you, learning from you. Uh, we honour the commitment that you have shown to the truth of the Word of God and for the way God has used you to advance that or to declare that. Uh, to so many people and to so many places and for the gifts that he so obviously has blessed with you with to be able to communicate that message and and also to to hear that that for the strength of that commitment to the word it is informed by the, the deep personal connection with the god of the word or the god who is the word um Thank you so much for your time. We will pray that God continues to open new doors for you and for your ministry to make the impact that uh, that he has planned for you. And uh, may God be with you and bless you. Thank you, Brendan. And, uh, hey, I'd love to see you over here one day and give you a tour through the Ark and, and the Creation Museum and uh, maybe bring all the school students too. Hey, we, we might see about that. That could be a fantastic little excursion you could organise. Dr. Ham, thank you so much. Hey, thank you.